Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. It is, it is so good to see every single one of your smiling faces. As I mentioned earlier, Megan and I, we're, we're back We're back from sabbatical, man. We're excited to be with every single one of you guys, man. We've heard so many amazing things. Is that somebody shouting us out because we're back? All right, let's go. Let's go. I feel the love. I feel the love. I I thank you guys so much for all the text messages. Everyone that reached out to us that was asking how we're doing and and, and all those wonderful things, being patient with us, man, because there were some times I put my phone down for four days at a time. So thank you for being gracious with my response. I'm I'm still getting caught up, but man, it is so good to see all your faces. But before I I jump into today's message, I I do want to take a moment to just honor and acknowledge our amazing staff. Can we put our hands together for the Celebration Orlando staff? and team. I I genuinely couldn't be more proud of them. Thank you, Vinny, so much. Um, I couldn't be more proud of of what I've seen God doing in our community and and just their faithfulness and how they've stewarded um, not only just this season, but also how they've stewarded um, the responsibilities that that God has given them. And so Meg and I couldn't be filled with more pride and excitement and seeing what God has been doing here. And also, I mean, I just wanted to shout out our our teams, man. I'm so thankful for everyone who served so faithfully. All of you guys for continuing to show up, your generosity, all that stuff, man. Yeah, give it up for yourselves. Man, it's just been, it's been fun, man. But I I am glad to be back. Um, The eight weeks, don't get me wrong. It went quicker than I thought it was going to. Um, but I'm, but I am so glad to be back. So today is a little bit different than, than what our typical Sunday would look like. Our, our worship is a little bit shorter. Um, the message will be a little bit longer. Um, if you guys don't have anything to do for the next hour and a half, um, the message will be a little bit longer, but it's really, so it gives us enough space to really unpack, um, this vision, um, that I believe that God has given us when we were going into, um, this summer season and, and Meg and I praying about this sabbatical, we, we knew, um, that God would give us some, some, some vision and some direction and some clarity. And, and I think it's such an important part of the way that we govern and live our lives. Scripture says it this way, without a vision, the people perish. Uh, Another translation says it this way. When you don't have vision, the people cast off restraints. That means that you live without boundaries. Here's what I have been trying to instill in my own life, but also in the life of my children. Man, get a vision for your life. Because when you have vision for your life, that's ultimately like goals and perspective. They begin to be your standards. And then when things come up that are contrary to the standard or the vision you have for your life, then you're able to quickly identify and recognize if this is a space that I should be in. I think the thing that we end up losing momentum in is we end up spending so much time praying about things that we should have already processed already. Because if I have vision for my life, I don't have to pray about it because when it's introduced to my life, I can recognize quickly, does this line up with the vision for my life? So vision is so important so that we can live and function with boundaries and we can have the ability to reach what God is calling us to do. So I believe that should not only be true for us, but I also believe it should be true for the church that we are a part of. Habakkuk chapter two, verse number two says this. It says, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that the runner can carry the correct message for others. Here's what another translation says. Write the vision and make it plain. For those that are familiar with the, the King James version like I was when I was coming up, write the vision, make it plain so that other people can run with it. What, what Habakkuk is telling us is that vision was never meant to just sit with one person, but we make it plain so that we all can run with it. This Sunday, my, my goal, if I can be quite honest with you, the thing I would like to accomplish is that we can get to a point where we can say this, Celebration Orlando is not the church that I attend. Celebration Orlando is my church. I want, to make a queer, I want to make a really quick distinction. I don't want this just to be the church that you attend. And if you're on that journey, we celebrate that. But for those that say that this is home, I don't want this to be the church you attend. I want this to be your church. And we all know the difference of when something is yours versus when it's not. Best example would be rental cars. When it's a rental car, we treat it a little bit differently than when it's our car. Am I the only one? I'm telling the truth in church. 
We treat it a little bit differently when it's yours versus when it's not. What I want is for this to be your church so that we can have a different point of emphasis in the way that we engage it. Here's some of the things that shape who we are, our values. It's, it's things that you've heard us say. You'll see it on our wall when you walk out into the lobby. We celebrate the goodness of God. This is a part of who we are. We believe in celebrating the goodness of God. Our messages acknowledge the goodness of God. Our worship songs will declare the goodness of God. Even if it's not good, we believe that God is good and he's working all things together for the good. That is our posture. That is our value. And another thing is we engage the presence of God. We believe in engaging God. We don't believe that we have a passive relationship with God. We lift our hands and worship. We sing out. We declare the goodness of God with our mouths, with our bodies, with our actions. We believe in engaging God. We read his word. We are connected to community. We engage God. We are not spectators. We are participators. We also believe in the power of God. That means that we are the church that we're going to call for moments where, man, if anyone's sick among us, let us pray. We believe that there's no expiration date on the power of God. We believe that the same Jesus that was walking and healing people was the same Jesus that is available to us today. So we will believe in the power of God. God is very active and he's on the move and we believe in demonstrating the love of God. It's so important to make sure that we demonstrate this love. Paul even says that we can have all the gifts in the world, but if we don't have love, then it really is worthless. We believe that God equips us with a lot of things, but it's our responsibility to demonstrate that love through service and through generosity. So those are some of the values that shape us as a church. But there's another layer that I want to present to us today. If you have your Bibles, join me in Genesis chapter number six. We're going to read verses nine through 18 to kind of set the framework of where we were spending our time today. Starting here at verse number nine, it says this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world and for everyone was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living things for they have been filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. So build a large boat of cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Construct the decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18 inch opening on the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Now, I, I want to take a moment to acknowledge something here that, that maybe you're familiar with that when God gives Noah this massive download and begins to talk to him about this storm, this rain that's about to come, here's the thing to remember. It never rained before. So, so, so Noah's frame of reference, as God is telling him what he's about to do, is non-existent. So, so Noah has an assignment to build something that's never been built to prepare for something that has never been seen. I think there's a lesson that we can learn in that because I think in order for us to see something we've never seen, sometimes we've got to do something we've never done. Verse number 22 says it this way. It, it, it beautifully wraps it up. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Church, I got to be honest. I want that kind of faith. That the kind of faith that says yes before it makes sense. In fact, I've changed my definition of faith to mean this. Faith means moving forward knowing I will understand it in reverse. Faith means I'm going to move forward knowing that it will make sense in reverse. When I look at my life in retrospect and look at the varying things that God had led me to do and to step out in faith in, in real time, it didn't make sense. But when I look in the rear view, I'm like, oh, I could see what God was doing the entire time, but I just didn't recognize it then. That is the definition of faith. It's moving forward knowing I will recognize in reverse. Noah models that brilliantly. Today, I want to spend some time talking about courage and faith and obedience to build something new for God. And I've entitled this message, All Hands. Let's pray. 
and let's see what it is that God wants to share to us today. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to stand in your presence, God. I count it as a, as a tremendous privilege to be a part of such an amazing community. And Lord, I just pray over the next few moments um, that God, we can, we can silence ourselves. We can truly lean in and to hear your voice in amongst all the varying things that, that are begging for our attention. So God, I, I pray that I decrease and that you increase. I pray for open eyes that we can see you, open ears to hear you and open hearts to receive everything that it is that you wanna speak to us today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Inspire us, activate us, challenge us, motivate us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen and amen. Uh, I wanna take a couple of seconds to, to give you a sense of what is the context of the world that Noah is living in? Because when you hear something like, the entire world is corrupt. That just sounds, that sounds aggressive. That's, that sounds like it's a lot, but, but let me tell you how we got here. You know, in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, we know that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it. Day six, he creates man, and then he shows man what does rest look like. And then he says to man, listen, I'm gonna give you a choice. You can either do things my way or you can do them your way. This is the ultimate moment of stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man being man, we decided that we wanted to define things on our own terms. So man makes a detour, does his own thing. So now we're three chapters in and man has already blew it. Already blew it, three chapters in. So now God has to then begin to activate his redemptive plan. The redemptive plan of restoring man back to his rightful place of unbroken fellowship where there's nothing that is in between us and God. But now sin has entered the equation. So now sin is in the world. We turn the page, we get over to Genesis chapter 4, and chaos continues to expand. In fact, it's where we get the infamous story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. Murder is now introduced into the world. It's continuing to run rampant. Now, from Cain's bloodline, he has a, a, a great-grandson named Lamech. Lamech kills two people, and he brags about it. So you can see that when sin enters a picture, it continues to move with compounded interest. Like it just continues to increase and increase and increase. So by the time we get to Genesis chapter six, the world in the most theological terms I can give you is a hot mess. The world is a hot mess. You got, you got fallen angels that are, that are sleeping with women. Like you get, you get to a place where you get some really weird stuff that's going on. So God sees this six chapters in and says like, man, we gotta, we gotta have a do-over. This is the ultimate mulligan. Like this Let's start all over again, because I, I gave man a chance, but we need to start all over. Like, God sees that the entire world is corrupt and says, like, man, we need, to, we need to start this thing over. So as he's looking at this broken and fallen world, he begins to look and he recognizes that Noah is the only person who is walking with him. Now, I, I want to make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying. He's not one of the people that are walking with God. Noah is the only person who's walking with God. Scripture defines him as being blameless and righteous. Righteous means that he's in right standing with God. Blameless means that he does everything he can do to avoid sin. Noah is living in a place where he's truly trying to live and honor God. And what the Bible says is he's the only person on the planet that is living that way. How is it possible for Noah to live in a perverse, darkened, and broken world and he is the only one living for God. Before I got into ministry, I knew what it felt like to be the only follower of God at a workplace. I knew what it felt like to work in a toxic environment. I, I, I am very well versed with being in environments where you feel isolated and alone, even what it feels like to be the only person who's walking with God in your family. After reading this with Noah, I feel like I have a lot less to complain about. Noah is the only person on the face of the earth who is trying to live for God in a world that is so corrupt. How was he able to do it? I believe that Noah had a perspective that we need to gain in our own lives, is that Noah lived with an eternal perspective, that, that Noah lived his life understanding that I am not a citizen of the United States of America. I am not even a citizen of earth. I live with an eternal perspective and my heritage is in heaven. I believe the biggest challenge for some of us is that we get our citizenship mixed up and then we end up being surprised when the world acts like the world. We end up being surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. I'm actually surprised when Christians are surprised that people who don't know God act like they don't know God. What we need to be aware of is the same principle that we see in scripture where we're in the world but not of the world. 
Noah had this ability to recognize that I'm in an environment that I am not going to allow it to influence the way that I function because I have a vision on my life. Noah is in this world that is full of brokenness, that's full of murder, that's full of debauchery, but he continued to walk in righteousness with God. He was able to stiff arm every ounce of temptation that he did everything he could to walk in unbroken fellowship with God. And as a result of that, the Bible says that when God looked at him, he looked at him with favor. Now, I want you to understand that Noah didn't have to perform for God's grace, but God's grace empowered his performance. Because he made a choice to walk in alignment with God, that when God looked at him, he saw him with grace. Now, that word grace and favor, we often use it interchangeably. What that ultimately means is that we are now not only covered, but we're also empowered. God's grace covers us, but it also empowers us. So Noah is this man who was covered by the grace of God, but now the grace of God empowers the work that he's about to be commissioned to do because God has a huge assignment for Noah. And when you think about it in our own rational minds, when God comes to Noah with this incredible assignment, it seems overwhelming. It seems incredibly daunting. How can, how can one person truly take on the responsibility of building this massive ship that is meant to save and preserve all of humanity? But I find this to be true, that God's grace meets you at the place of your obedience. That, that instead of Noah saying, I can't do it because I don't have the abilities in my own strength, that the moment that he surrendered to God, that the grace of God that was on his life would then extend it to the work that he was commissioned to do. He was graced to do it. I think sometimes God invites us into spaces that we don't feel comfortable stepping into because we have analysis paralysis and we don't recognize that I'm graced to do this. I've seen people turn down job opportunities because they feel like they don't have the skill set when they don't recognize that I am graced to do this. The moment I say yes to this, the grace of God will empower and strengthen me to do it. My faith means that I'm going to say yes to something that I know I will understand later. I'm graced to do this. Listen to me. You're graced to do the thing that God is calling you to do. You're graced to be a husband. You're graced to be a wife. You're graced to be a teacher. You're graced to be a student. Whatever season God has you in, if you are there, God has graced you to survive it. He would never put you in a place that's going to bring you to destruction. It may not be easy. It may be challenging, but you're graced for this. You're graced to survive the environments that you're in. Noah was graced to do the work. What the Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 17, it says, Let the favor of our Lord God be on us. Establish us for the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. There's a threefold thing that's happening here. The favor of God is on us which then empowers me to do what I'm called to do, and then the work that I do is now empowered by God. This passage is kind of like our theme for this entire series that we're in, this idea of knowing because God's grace is on me, I'm graced to do the things that I'm called to do. Let me simplify it a little bit. When God puts something on your heart, he also puts something in your hands. When God puts something on your heart, he also puts something on in your hands. And watch this. And what you do with your hands determines what you see with your eyes. God puts it on your heart, but he also puts something in your hands. And what I do with that will determine what I see with my eyes. We're graced to do the work. We're graced to advance the kingdom. We're graced to continue to move forward. I don't believe that God gives us revelation so that we can live in a comment section. I believe that when God opens our eyes, he's also opening our hearts and opening our hands so that we can do something about what we see so we can change what we are seeing. We're graced for this. Noah is given this assignment, and what we know is based on the sheer scope of what he is called to build, he goes back and takes this assignment to his family. Listen, this is a team effort. I had a download from God, and, and now that I got this download, man, we all got a part to play in this thing that we're a part of. So Noah goes back to his family, and most scholars and theologians believe that Noah then begins to activate his family and saying, hey, guys, we got some work to do. So they all begin to take their rightful place, and it takes them about 100 years in order for them to build this entire vessel, 100 years for them to build this massive ship out. And as they're building it, it's a, it's a, it's a witness to people. People are wondering what they're working on. I can't imagine the embarrassment of them building something and saying, like, why are you building this? For rain. What's rain? Well, like, it's, it's the, the tension that they're feeling of being obedient when it doesn't make sense. Why are you spending your energy? Why are you serving? Why are you giving to that? It doesn't make any sense to me. All I know is that I've been called to God to do this, and I'm going to be faithful to the assignment. For Noah, this is an all-hands-on-deck moment for him and his family. 
See, that, that phrase, all hands on deck, it, it obviously comes from naval terms. They believe it was birthed in the 1700s where back before they had the navigational tools that we have now, that the idea would be that a captain would yell out, all hands on deck. And that was meant to tell everyone that was on the ship, stop whatever you're doing. There's nothing more important than this. Meet me on the deck so you can help me navigate through this storm. All hands on deck. We now use that same terminology even in our own lives. We're all hands on deck. We're all, we're all contributing to this right now. We're all involved in this right now. This is not something that I'm carrying on my own. It's something that we all are doing together. In other words, all hands means we all have a part to play in the thing that we are a part of. All hands on deck. As Noah and his family are building out this ark, I want you to notice that the ark didn't include any steering, no rudder. It didn't even have a sail on it. Here's what that communicates, that even the most well-executed plans will still result in us having to trust God. We're still going to have to get to a point where we have to trust God. So even after Noah built this amazing ark, it still came down to, but we need to trust God with where we're going to end up at. If you look at this, the ark has so many things that are parallel to the way that the church looks. There's only one way in. There's only one door. The way that it was built together without any nails, it was held together with tar, which many believe was symbolic of the blood of Jesus, how the church is built and held together with the blood of Jesus. There's so many nuances that point back to the idea that the ark is also a representation of the church being a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of protection. It's amazing how this, this vessel that was meant to preserve and protect Noah and his family also became a vessel of, of provision and, and leading them into what the next season was going to look like. This was a ship that had a purpose. You know, Megan and I, over, I would say over the past couple of months, have, have really learned, like, okay, like, man, like, we love... We love to go on cruise ships. Like, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and call it what it is. Like, like, you know how you have certain people and they have, like, certain things they like to do? Like, I, I think that we're getting to a point where we're going to be, like, called, like, cruisers. Like, cruisers. Like, that's, that's something that we enjoy doing. And, and we found different types of cruises for different purposes. We have cruises that we'll do that include our family. Those are the cheaper cruises. And then we'll have the other cruises that we'll do that's just her and I. Those are a little bit more bougie because I'm trying to just make my wife happy, guys. Y'all pray for me. It's, it's what it takes. It's what it takes. Um, I, I got to do what I got to do. So, so we've had an opportunity to go on these different cruise ships, and the modern ones are like, it's mind-blowing all the things that they have on them. Like, I mean, if you haven't been on them recently, you got to research these things. I mean, they have like Broadway-level productions and shows on there. Like, it's mind-boggling to me. There's other things like the food is absolutely amazing. Like, there's all these different things that are happening on these cruise ships that are amazing. Did you know that you could go on a cruise ship and get, like, liposuction? Yes. Megan and I are like walking through one day, and the guy's like, hey, I can help you out. <laughs> I'm like, bro, what you trying to say? I didn't come here prepared for that, but man, I'll catch you the next cruise. Like, so if I go on like a vacation, I come back 30 pounds lighter, I worked hard for this. Um, so we're like, we're like on these cruise ships, and we're taking it all in. It's like, it's like a resort on, on water. But, but I, I love how they have all these different activities. They even know how to, like, do, like, towel folding. If you want to, like, fold your towels in the shape of an animal. Megan went to that class. They got cocktail classes if you want to learn how to make great mixed drinks. I didn't do that because I'm a follower of Jesus. But for those of you, he, whatever, you know, do your own thing. There's grace for it. Um, but there's all these different activities and things that, that you can get into. I remember a couple weeks after we got off of our ship, Megan had sent me this article. And she said, I am so proud of our ship. Our ship. I'm like, man, I didn't know we bought one, but shoot, okay. <laughs> and watch this. She sent me this article, and what the article was, was our cruise ship. While it was out at sea, there was an article about this family, this precious family. They had gone on a vacation to Aruba. They were there for a couple of weeks. They were ready to come back, but the, the, the son, he had autism, and he got overstimulated, and he just was not getting on an airplane. He was over it. He's like, I'm done. Airplane, not doing it. So, like, the mother and the son had to stay back, and the father and the rest of the kids went there. But he was literally trapped with his parents or with his mother at Aruba for two weeks. No way to get home. So the family's naturally trying to figure it all out. And, and somehow, our cruise ship found out about it. They rerouted one of their trips, went over, picked this young man up with his mother, put them in one of the most deluxe suites, treated them like royalty all the way back to get them into America. 
And I was like, that's amazing. I'm going to give them my money next trip. Like, I, it just felt good knowing that, man, like, yeah, they got a mission. They're there to have fun, but they weren't so busy about doing their own thing that they didn't recognize that they could help me to need. She sent me a, a, another article, same, same scenario, a little bit different, where there was a, there, the, the captain was, was out at sea. He looked off into the distance and literally saw a ship that had capsized, that, that someone had made like a, a makeshift ship, got caught up in like a, a, a current, and now they were about to drown. And so the captain, even though they had somewhere to be at, stopped, went over, picked up this incredible group of people, brought them on, notified the proper authorities, and just didn't leave them out there stranded. I was like, this is amazing that even though you have this fancy deluxe cruise ship and all these other amenities, that you are not so busy about your own thing that you didn't recognize an opportunity to help somebody else. As I saw this, I said, man, this is what the church is supposed to look like. This is the type of church that I want to be a part of. The type of church that, yes, we can have a lot of fun and activities. We can have smokes and screens. We can have lights. We can have a lot of those amazing things. But listen, don't get it twisted. We are not a cruise ship. We're a battleship on mission. And as we're going out, we're looking for opportunities to serve and help people that have been marginalized and that are broken. That is the type of church that I believe God has commissioned us to be. When Jesus is giving his parting words to his disciples, he basically gives them the vision for the entire church. And it's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am always with you, even until the end of the age. This is Jesus in his parting words. Three and a half years of ministry, they've seen a lot, they've seen him die, they've seen him resurrected, and as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he says, listen, we got work to do, and you're graced for this, and I got an assignment for you to do, and I want you to keep it really clear. I, I want to make sure that you do these three things and you repeat, these three things and repeat, and I believe that as pastors and as people who are called to steward the calling of God, quite honestly, my my vision isn't different than the Great Commission. I don't have authority to change that. It's really quite simple. My assignment is for us to reach the lost. Jesus had a heart for the lost. Jesus had a heart for people that were away from God. He would go out of his way when it says that he had to go through Samaria. Jesus modeled and demonstrated that he had a heart for people that were away from God. Jesus was a person who had a heart for the lost. We have a heart for the lost. But Jesus also believed in equipping the found making sure that the minute that you say yes to Jesus, my responsibility is to make sure that you're continuing to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just good enough to say that I know Jesus, but now it's becoming that space where I become more like Jesus. We have to be equipped to live the life that God has called us to live. And then Jesus also shows us that we have to help the hurting. We have to help people. You know, I've, I've studied the Gospels through and through, literally countless times, and I have yet to find one single place where before Jesus helped a hurting person is that he needed to get a background check and a prerequisite on how they ended up there. Well, if you made better decisions, then that probably wouldn't have. If you would have did this instead of that, that would have. You never see Jesus doing that. And I think what can happen with us is that we end up getting too drifted off into that space where we're asking people why they ended up where they were instead of helping them where they are and then leading them so they don't end up there again. It was never a prerequisite to ask the question on the front end. Jesus had a heart to reach the lost, to equip the found, and to help the hurting, and that is exactly the mandate that he has given us as a church. So how do we accomplish that? How, how do we do that as a community and continue to move forward? I want to give you some practical things that we do as a church to exercise and to be faithful to this vision that God has given us. One of those things is, is the way that we do care and connect. It's a vital part of every single church. It's a vital part of our church. It's so important for me to make sure that you guys know that you were cared for, that you guys feel connected to community. I think the biggest mistake we can make is being a part of something and no one knows that I'm a part of it. Is when I'm going through things that need prayer and I have no one to pray with me. When I'm going through seasons where I want to celebrate what God's doing and I have no one to celebrate with me. But when we're adequately connected to community, we know that not only can we be the recipients of care, but we also can extend it to other people. 
Even right now, if you were to text that number now, you're getting a response from one of our pastors, maybe one of our care teams. This is not an auto response. This is from somebody who directly wants to connect with you and answer questions and pray with you. We believe so heavily in prayer and the word of God and making sure that we are caring for those around us. Another thing that's so important to us is groups. Again, you hear us talk about this virtually every single week, whenever the new group semester is kicking off. Our new group semester starts on August 28th. Here's here's what we know. Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. We know that God moves in the midst of community. And sometimes these small groups become such a powerful opportunity and a gateway for relationships and discipleships. I can't think of where my faith would be if I wasn't connected to community. Iron sharpens iron. And if I'm not connected to other people and I'm not communicating with other people, then I can end up going off in my own way. What groups does is it allows us to have shared accountability, shared growth, and it allows us to become sharper together. And we have a variety of groups that you can get connected to, but it's, it's, a, it's up to us to step into those spaces and say yes. We're actually launching a, a, a new group this upcoming semester called Discipleship One. It's going to be taught by our very own Pastor Vinny. Can y'all put your hands together? Who does Pastor Vinny? Such, I, I, I love him. I love him so much. So Pastor Vinny is going to be teaching this class on discipleship that really allows us to go deeper into God's word, understanding our purpose and making sure that we're walking in alignment. In other words, living that life that Noah was talking about. Other things that we do, I call them our sacred ordinances. These are the things that help us to recognize that our faith is not meant to be a secret. It's not meant. Now, here's what I'll tell you. Your relationship with God is personal, but it's not private. It's, it's never been about us having this private relationship with Jesus. It's always been about understanding, yes, my walk is personal, but it's not private. And so we have these things that allow us to have these moments where we can celebrate together as a family when we have these public declarations of our faith. That would be communion, baptisms, child dedication. These are all what we define as sacred ordinances. These are things that the early church did publicly, and it became powerful moments of revival, but also moments of celebration. Our upcoming communion is going to be next week. We do this every month together as a family. They're really sacred moments. We also have water baptism. Like water baptisms are powerful. Not only are they public moments of my faith, but it's also like declarations of spiritual warfare where I'm saying that I am no longer associated with the world. I'm leaving my past in the water and I'm risen new in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm, taking, it, I'm taking my direction of what God is calling me to do. It's that water baptism. We have our next one on August 21st. Child dedication, beautiful, powerful moment where the church and the family come together and in agreement, we pray for God's will to be done over that family, over the life of those other people. This is the powerful moments that God has allowed us to be a part of. Our next child dedication will be in November and there'll be more information about that as well. What I want you guys to know is that as a church and as a community, that these are the things that God is commissioning us to do and double down on. Equip. This is one of the areas that I'm incredibly passionate about. Here's what the modern translation of equip means. It means to be molded until completion. Here's what the imagery is supposed to be. Imagine a potter who's working with a piece of clay, and he's continuing to mold it until it's complete. He who has begun a work in you is able to complete it. That idea means that we never graduate from growth. We never graduate from needing to continue to position ourselves in environments to grow. So our equipped classes are environments where we're able to do that. It will help us to grow in discipleship. It will help us to grow with, with our finances. We did an amazing panel on finances and how we can steward our resources. We did an incredible one a few months back on mental health and understanding the spirituality of how we can utilize the knowledge of this, the concept of mental health and making sure that we infuse the things of God in it. We're going to have, we're gonna have uh, equipped classes on marriage, equipped classes on being single, equipped classes on all these other components, but it allows us to, to really disciple and equip you so that you can be prepared for what it is that God is calling you to do. We have like five more of those um, that are coming up, and that's going to be powerful. But the beautiful thing is it doesn't stop there because we recognize that God is also commissioning us to step into this digital space. So we're expanding our digital footprint. We're changing and evolving the way that we even engage. We know that we have so many people that are connected to our online community. So we're changing our our digital space. That means that we're going to also offer um, our our equipped classes that are just specifically going to be um, online. These classes are going to be pretty concise, no longer than 10 minutes. And our first one will be um, kicking off in September, where I'll be doing an exhaustive study on Psalm 23. 
and that'll just be a content that's available to us, and that's just the beginning of it. The only component that we're waiting for is that we need to buy this piece of equipment that's going to allow us to be able to change the whole thing. It's the one piece of equipment that we didn't include in our original budget. It's $1,000, but once we secure that, then we're going to be making that expansion. In addition to that, changing our entire YouTube page, making it more accessible so that you can share it with your family and friends and, and, and isolate certain clips that may speak to you a little bit more. We're changing the way that we send our messaging because we know that people are in different places. Additionally, we also are going to be doing a lot more investment in our teams. If you're on one of our teams, we're going to be investing. We're going to be spending more time with our teams, discipling our team, helping our team to recognize their calling and purpose and see what it is that God's calling them to do. For Megan and I both, we, we both served on teams. That's when our calling to pastor was activated. You'd be amazed at what can happen as you're positioning yourself to be a servant and what God will do with it. We're going to be spending more time investing in our teams. And there's many opportunities for you to continue to serve. Maybe you're on one of our teams. Maybe, maybe you're not. All I'm asking you to do is pray about what is it that God wants you to get involved in. You don't have to do everything, but everybody can do something. What's the, what's the thing? It could be once a week. It could be every other week. It could be once a month. Like whatever that looks like for you and your rhythms. But I believe that God has given us an opportunity to be a part of something. And then we have our welcome to church. Our welcome to church is kind of like our, our, I don't want to say orientation, but it helps you get oriented. Because what I recognize is that being a part of a church can be a little bit overwhelming. Meg and I had a chance to go and visit um, a church while we were on sabbatical, and, and it's like sensory overload. Like, I, I forgot that feeling of walking to a church and not knowing people, not knowing what's going on. So while we were there, it was, it was, it was a lot to take in. I feel like church has almost become like, like Times Square now. It's a bunch of screens, a lot of people talking and yelling, and this guy's on the side yelling about Jesus. Like, I just feel like that's kind of like what, what church has become. So what we want to do is we want to simplify it. So Welcome to Church is our on-ramp, so to speak, that helps you get oriented on who we are as a church, understanding our culture, understanding um, our, our organization, understanding our governance, because we truly believe that accountability and transparency is, per, is, is so important, letting you know what our budgets are, letting you know what our resources go to, how do we use our budget. This is a great space for you to learn about the church, ask questions about the church, learn about us, but know that what you're a part of is full of transparency, and I believe that's how we're strengthened in community. And the beautiful thing, this is all going to be available online starting in September. It's four videos, and it's in total 20 minutes, 20 minutes total. And it's a great way for you just to get acclimated to what's happening in our church. And then we celebrate that with quarterly social gatherings where we have our Welcome to Church in-person social gatherings. Our next one will be on August 21st. The one I'm really pumped about, guys, is our next-gen ministry. We, we've been looking at data, and, and we recognize that, that the next generation is not the previous generation, meaning this, what worked in the past doesn't work now. And we have to revitalize the way that we serve and the way that we pastor the next generation. That's everything from kids all the way up to college age. And so we're in a process of completely revamping our kids' curriculum. That means pastoring and, and developing our teachers, but also in addition to that, resourcing the families adequately so that you feel that you have what you need to pastor your family. Because again, it's a partnership. So we want to come along and partner with you in that regard. We're completely redoing our youth ministry from the top to the bottom, completely revamping it all together. And we really do want your feedback. So on September 17th, here's what I need for you to do. If you have a student, if you have a, a child, or maybe you're interested in serving, I want you to write that number, that, that date down, because we're going to have an in-person gathering where I'm able to cast vision about what I see for the next generation, but then also answer questions that you may have and honestly hear what you guys are seeing in your families so that as we build this, we can make sure that it's meeting the needs of the people that are sitting in our seats. We're looking to revamp all of that. Local missions has been going amazing, and we're continuing to double down on that. We're going to have a local mission Sunday that's going to be coming up in the future, where we're going to highlight all of our partnerships with those that we're partnering with here locally, which include Orlando's Children's Church, where there's opportunities to serve there the second Saturday of every single month. Our partnership with U.S. Hunger, where we serve there twice a year. Our partnership with Christian Service Center, as well as iDignity, where we partner with them all year round. These are organizations that we partner with locally to meet the needs of what's happening here locally in our community. In addition to that, though, Global Missions is back. Here's what I'm saying. Mission trips are back, baby. We're going back out on these streets, and I couldn't be more excited about it. In 2023, we're going to be partnering with our other locations, and we're going to be going to Zimbabwe, Ecuador, Netherlands, Cyprus, South Africa, Zambia, 
and we're looking to close the deal with going to Colombia as well. I see you, Carlos, back there. He said, my people. It's going, to be, it's going to be great. And here's what's important. I want you guys to hear me on this. The goal is not for us to be the Western church showing up and telling people how to do it. These mission trips are going to be partnering with local churches and organizations that are already there and simply providing the resources that they say that they need from us. This is going to be game-changing for us. I'm going to let y'all in on a secret. Don't put this out in the streets just yet. I'm also in the process of finalizing the deal for us to go to Israel as well, but y'all hold on to that. Three people are excited about it. It's okay. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. We'll get there. Megan, it'll just be me and you, girl. Bible says those who love Israel are blessed, man. That's why I guess we're blessed. I guess these other folks. Okay. Anyway. And now that leads us to this, this final thought. And that's, that's, our, that's our building campaign. Here's, here's what I know. When we first got here, man, we were, we were on track, man. We were doing so well with the trajectory of getting our own place. 2019, man. I was fired up. We had looked at a couple of places, and we were really close um, to signing the dotted line on at least two places that we were praying about. We get into 2020. We were going to manage our, our resources a little bit more, and then the world shuts down, pandemic hits, and everything comes to a screeching halt. Now, at the time, I was a little bit frustrated, but I'm so thankful that God had brought it to a stop because if not, we would have ended up creating an expense for a church that we no longer are. And now we would have been encumbered with that debt. So what God did is he brought everything to a stop, and it allowed us over the past year and some change to assess who we are as a church, who's here, how many are here, what are the needs of our church, and that allowed us to establish a blueprint of what we need as we're moving forward to our own permanent building. So now we have that information. So now we're moving forward with the next phase of that. So we've already identified the specs and what we need, but now what we're doing is we're going to be launching our building campaign so that we can put ourselves in a position where we can have our own permanent facility. Now, here's what I want you guys to hear me. You don't need a building to do ministry, but a facility does help you to facilitate. We've been able to do ministry without it for the past eight years, and God has moved mightily, and we've seen lives change as a result of it. But what we also know is that there's are certain limitations. The clock is ticking now telling me how much time I have left because we got to get out of here. We only can have baptisms a certain amount of time per year because of the expenses of what it looks like to go and get the baptismal pool. There's challenges that come with it. We believe that as we're able to establish our own personal uh, and own personal location, that it will free us to do ministry without the constraints of some things that are beyond our control. So we have our building campaign that will be kicking off. And our goal is by the time we get to 2024 is that we've raised a million dollars to secure and, and build out our building and also an additional million dollars so that we actually are not going into it in debt, kind of living paycheck to paycheck. That's our ultimate goal. But we all have a part to play. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment for us as a church. We're going to provide follow-ups, and we're going to keep these things in front of you. But I truly believe this, that when God puts something on your heart, he also puts something in our hands. And what we do with our hands determines what we see with our eyes. You know, there's a big difference between remodeling a home and renovating a home. Those of you who've ever been in those spaces understands the difference. Remodeling a home is really this. I don't like the carpet, I want to do hardwood. I don't like the wallpaper, I want to do paint. You are able to redecorate it to fit whatever your style is. However, renovating a home means that there's a new vision built on a simple foundation. Where there are walls, I don't want walls anymore. Where there are things that I'm seeing, I don't want to see those things anymore. It's a new vision built on a foundation that's already been established. I remember talking with someone as a part of our community and we were in the middle of the pandemic, and I honestly remember while we were in the middle of the pandemic that people would say, like, what's the vision? What are we doing? What are the next eight things we're doing as a church? And, and, and at times feeling this pressure of, of having all the answers, even when we're in the midst of uncertainty. And then it became clear to me, like, man, like, man, we're, we're, we're not a remodeled church. God has changed the tapestry of who we are. We're we're in renovation mode, and there's some, some walls and things I want to knock down. And as this person began to share with me about what they wanted to see in the church, what they wanted to see in their community, I said, man, those are amazing. I want to see those things as well. Will you help me build it? It was a little bit jolting at first because it was an invitation to be a part of the thing that you are a part of. I said, man, like, listen, I, there's, there's tons of churches that may already have these things in place, and it is easy for you to slide in and do those things. And I want you to be where you feel like God's calling you to be. But if you're part of this church, what you want to see, I want to see, but, but will you help me build it? 
See, the church that I see requires all hands on deck. The church that I see is a church that requires all investment. I said, man, we're not a mega church, but we're a church with a mega vision. And that vision is to reach the lost, to equip the found, and to help the hurting. But, but will you help me build it? You see, the church that I see is a church that looks like heaven. It's filled with diversity and different backgrounds and, and different perspectives, but, but I can't do this on my own. Will you help me to build it? The, the church that I see is a church that is filled with passionate people that walk into the house of God so fired up and ready to worship that when somebody walks in, they can get healed just because of the overflow of what's happening in your heart. This is what I believe revival looks like, but I need you to help me to build it. The, the church that I see is filled with such a vibrant next-gen ministry that the kids, as they're being discipled, are taking the message of Jesus into the workplace or into the schools and they're beginning to see people come to church because they see of the goodness of God that is on our lives. The church that I see has the next generation teenagers that are so fired up for God that when the world comes at them and tries to strip them of their identity that Jesus is so rooted in their heart that the devil cannot tell them anything that's not true but I need you to help me to build it. The church that I see has such a burden for other people that when we see brokenness and suffering we're rushing to the doors to see how can I help? How can I make a difference but how can we do this would you help me to build it the church that I see has such an impact on the city that city officials are asking us to pray over the plans that they have because they see how we steward the goodness of God but will you help me to build it the church that I see is filled with strong, vibrant marriages that are examples in every sphere of influence that they have. And when people give up on love and they give up on what God's view of love looks like, they can look to us and see, no, this is what a godly marriage is supposed to look like and it gives them hope. But will you help me build it? The church that I see is filled with people whose identities are so strong in Christ that even when the world tells them that certain things define who they are, as long as I have Jesus, I know who I am, but I need you to help me to build it. The church that I see is full of free people, free of oppression, free of fear, free of concerns, free of burdens, because they know who they are in Christ Jesus, but will you help me build it? The church that I see is a church of revival, but I need you to help me to build it. This is an all hands on deck moment for us. What God has placed on our hearts, God has also placed something in our hands. And what we do with our hands will determine what we see with our eyes. In your hands, you received a, a pamphlet when you came in. And what I want you to do is just take a second to look over it. And it has a lot of the things that I had mentioned today. But there's an insert there that I want you to look at, that I want you to pray about. We're going to go back into worship in just a moment. And I want you to reflect. I don't want you to stand just yet. I want you just kind of to sit and receive and look over it. And the prayer point is, God, what do you want me to do with my hands? And maybe there's something on that list there that you just want to check off. You can check that off and give it to the team out in the foyer, and we will get back with you to help you to take that next step. Everybody doesn't have to do everything, but I think all of us can do something. Here is my prayer for every person that's connected to our church. These three things. One, that we show up. Everything we do is for you. At this point, our church has about 300 what we call active participators. We know more people are part of our church, but if they don't make themselves known, we don't know. So we have 300 that we can say, okay, this is who's a part of our church, 300. What I wanna make sure of is that as a church and as a family, that we show up, that when we have opportunities to come together and worship as together in community, that we show up, that if you can't make it, you're joining us online, that you show up, but we're all on this journey together, growing, coming to these varying classes, getting connected to a group, because it's in community we know that we absolutely are going to grow. One of the biggest mistakes I believe the modern church has made is that we've, we've forfeited commitment and we've selected convenience. But as I look at scripture, the cross wasn't convenient for Jesus. Following Jesus wasn't convenient for the disciples, but it was a commitment that was led by convictions because of their calling. I don't want us to be a convenient church. I want us to be a committed church. Now, we will make everything accessible, but I don't want to make it convenient because I don't see convenient in the context of the kingdom. 
We want you to show up. Here's the other thing I want you to pray about, serving. Right now, of our participators, 40% of our church currently serves in some capacity. They're on a serving team of some capacity. We have massive needs. We have the needs for the Seek Kids team, on our safety team, our youth team, prayer team, worship team, production, social media. Maybe God has given you a skill set, gift set, communications, those things. There are needs in our church that we could certainly express if we all played our parts and it was all hands on deck. The third thing I want you to consider doing is sowing. The first thing Noah does when he gets off of the ship is he takes some of the precious resources, the animals, and he offers a sacrifice to God. Remember, the resources are very limited, but he still chooses to worship God. Noah's mindset was, God has favor on me, so the least I can do is worship and honor him. What I want us to do is I want us to be a church that knows how to sow into the things of God. As it stands right now, 38% of our church gives. And with that 38%, we've been able to give $70,000 to our local partners and some of our global partners. With that 38%, we've been able to do some amazing ministry, and we've seen lives change as a result of it. But I am crazy enough to say, if we did all of that with 38%, how much more more would we do if we doubled that? How much more would we do if we had 100%? How much more could we do if everybody said, this is all hands, and I'm going to do my part to participate with the vision of the church that I am a part of? What I want us to do in this time of prayer is look at what's in your hand and ask God, what do you want me to do with it? And whatever it is that he tells you to do, be obedient. I believe that faith is moving forward knowing that you will understand in reverse. Trust God and let's see what we can do as a community. Maybe, just maybe, we can change this city together if we're all hands. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you for your faithfulness. And as we enter into this moment of just quiet reflection, I pray that you stir our hearts. I pray that you activate our hearts, that you put burdens on our hearts and that we're able to reconcile what's on our hearts and what's in our hands in a part that we play with advancing your mission, your vision for your church. God, I pray a blessing over every single one of us, those who are watching online, those who are with us here, those who will listen to this later, that we recognize that we are not called to be spectators but we're called to participate, that this is absolutely an all-hands-on-deck moment for us. All hands, you put something on our heart. Let us be faithful with what's in our hands so that we can see it in our eyes. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.